Well, it's good to be back here at Porchlight Baptist Church this morning. Uh, we enjoyed our services last Sunday over at Northside Baptist. We preached there uh, for both services last Sunday. I always have a good time out at Northside, but it is good to be here in our home church. And uh, we're going to continue through our studies, our sermon series in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 14, be taking our text from. We're going to try to finish this chapter this morning looking at verses 13 through 23, Romans 14, 13 through 23, on a message I've titled Sinful Christian Liberty, Sinful Christian Liberty. Romans chapter 14, starting with verse 13, the Bible says, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that is that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. I'm asking now for your help to be able to preach. Lord, may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. As we pick up here in the middle of Romans chapter 14, we looked at those first verses, or the verses 7 through 12 last Sunday, or the Sunday before last, and we saw that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And whether you're saved or not, you're going to bow before the Lord one day. Now, of course, for those that are saved, uh, we're going to bow before him, and we will answer for those things we did uh, since the time we have been saved, those works that we perform. They'll be judged. Those that were for ourselves or to be seen by men will be burned up. Those that are truly for Christ will be rewarded for. Uh, but those that are unsaved, when they bow before God, they'll be judged, and they'll be judged for their sins. And they will be sentenced to a lake of fire. We call that hell, but it's the Bible ultimately calls it the lake of fire, where they will be eternally destroyed. They'll never be completely annihilated, but they will be forever in misery and destruction in hell. And uh, so we as saved people will be going into the heavenly kingdom, God's kingdom. The, we refer to it as heaven most of the time. So starting here in verse 13, uh, Paul starts talking about judging again. Remember, he talked about it before. Verse 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now, in our opening text, we find the Apostle Paul here cautioning us against judging our brother. 
Now, we've talked about this uh, quite a bit already. We're not going to keep rehashing that about judgment. You know, the, the sinner's favorite uh, verse there is, Judge not that you be not judged. Even people that's never been in church can quote that verse. And uh, they like to think that's the truth. Well, they're taking that verse out of context. We are to judge. We're to judge righteousness and unrighteousness. So there is a place for judgment, but here Paul is really referring to judging our fellow brother and sister in Christ based upon their spiritual condition, uh, whether or not they meet really what we, uh, what we think is, they should be is spiritual-wise. And so we will judge them based on what they do or don't do, how they look or they don't look. These are usually all outward things that we judge our brother or sister about. And so Paul's cautioning about it. He said the, first, the same thing up there in verse 3 about judging. And so we're not to uh, judge anyone for things such as holidays they observe or don't observe, uh, the meat they eat or the meat they don't drink, the drinks they drink or don't drink, the days and times which they observe. These are all things that the Jews at one time were obligated to observe, but since the New Covenant, they're not. But Paul is saying we, we're not to judge one another spiritual condition based upon how they treat these things or how they view these things or their character, their spiritual character. Now, in the church that uh, I was previously pastoring, uh, we had a couple come to our church one time, and uh, they visited several times, and they got up one Sunday, and they stated they felt that God had led them to join the church. So they joined the church. These were good people. They were hard, hard workers, probably one of some of the hardest workers we'd ever had in the church. Um, very spiritual uh, you know, if you, if you want to judge uh, how they behaved in, in the service and things like that and their viewpoints on uh, certain things. But uh, these were good people. I really liked them. But they had a problem. Uh, they wanted to sit in judgment about everyone and everything all the time. And so instead of coming to a service to enjoy it and to worship and to um, edify one another in the service. They came to observe what other people were doing, how other people were dressing, what the church was doing that they agreed or didn't uh, or didn't agree with. And so, the finally, the straw that broke the camel's back was around Christmas time, and uh, I put a tree up in the church, a Christmas tree, up in the foyer, and I believe we had one in a little play. The the teens were doing a play, and they had a Christmas tree up on the on the um, um, stage up there by the choir. Well, this was too much for them. Uh, they didn't believe in having a Christmas tree inside the church. And uh, so they came to our house uh, one evening and to tell us that they were leaving the church and they were going to go somewhere else, join another church. And they felt that they should tell us that they were doing that and the reason why and uh, they accused us of worshiping trees. Uh, they said that, uh, that no tree should be in the, in the house of God. They didn't have any scripture to back that up. Uh, I have scripture that actually I could, I could claim for the reasons why we had a tree there. But regardless, um, they, the thing that they told us, the reason, the ultimate reason they were leaving is because, and I quote, we are walking on a much higher walk with God than you are. That's what they told me and my wife. 
that they were on a much higher walk with God than we were. And so they were leaving the church to go somewhere else. Uh, I didn't know when they joined our church that they'd already been members of numerous churches. They bounced around church to church. And so I tried to keep up with them after they left the church to find out, you know, if they ever settled on a place. And sadly, in the last five, six years, they bounced from church to church to church to church. Same thing. They just cannot stop judging people for things that are not even in the Bible. It's their own preferences, their own uh, wants, desires, wishes, whatever they think uh, is right. And so they judge our spiritual or moral character based upon how they believe, regardless of what the Bible says. And so it is not our place to judge our brother, our sister, concerning such things on their level of spirituality. Not everyone is going to think the same as you. Not everybody's going to think the same as me or believe the same things or, or anything like that. We all have our own personal preferences. We all have those things that we, um, we feel are wrong or right. And they may not be mentioned in the Bible, but yet we don't feel like we should do them. And so it's very easy for us to look at somebody that may be doing something we don't agree with and claim that they're unspiritual, that they're unchristian, and judge them based upon that. Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. We can't do that. He says, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So this stumbling block, he cautions us about being a stumbling block. A stumbling block is something that gets in your way that causes you to fall, causes you to be disrupted, to stumble. And when the Bible talks about stumbling, it typically means to fall into sin, stumbling. And so there's things that we may do in our Christian liberty, if we do it in front of someone who doesn't agree with us or believe the same way, it may cause them to stumble. Now, it may seem to us like, well, the, you know, too bad. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with it. The Bible, you know, doesn't forbid it. There's, it's not sinful. If it bothers them, so what? And that's most of our attitude. Paul says that our attitude should be opposite of that. If it's bothering them, if it's causing them problems to stumble and maybe even fall into sin because of it, then we need to stop doing it. We don't do it in front of them because we make the, we're becoming a stumbling block. Now, the Bible speaks a lot about Christian liberty. And I titled the message, Sinful Christian Liberty. Now, just because it's a liberty doesn't mean it's sinful, but however, sometimes by you indulging in that liberty, it can become sinful. So, uh, for example, in Romans eight twenty one, the Bible says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What Paul means right here is once you get saved, that new creature, he calls us creatures, that new creature is now in the liberty of God, the liberty that Christ gives us. We're no longer bound in, bond, in bondage by sin. So we're free from that. We are no longer uh, have to worry about it. We have liberty in Christ. And there's other things, uh, liberty. For example, the, the Jewish laws, the Mosaic laws, the, the eating and drinking and, and the observing of the days and all that. Those laws are no longer binding on the Christian because Christ fulfilled those laws and by his blood, we have been saved, and so we have the liberty. We have liberty to get up and eat sausage in the morning. 
The Jew didn't have that liberty. They were forbidden to partake of, of swine, uh, other unclean things, animals and meats and blood. And so those things were once forbidden. Well, of course, Paul, in the day that he's writing this, there's a great mixture of Jews and Gentile both in the same church. Uh, we explained there at the beginning of our studies in Romans almost two years ago that this church in Rome was made up of almost half and half of Gentiles and Jews, according to the names that were given in, in, the, in the end of the book. And so there's going to be a clash here. There's going to be those that's been raised up Jewish, and they're going to want to keep clinging on to those Jewish laws and rituals and holy days and, and all that. And there's going to be these Gentiles who used to sacrifice things uh, to uh, foreign gods and things and, and have them eat and would have no problem eating of anything like that. But the Jews would be horrified over it. Uh, things offered up to um, idols. Uh, they were forbidden to do this. But under the New Covenant, they're not. But yet they couldn't get there. That's the ones Paul explained to us were weak in the faith. They hadn't quite given in to their Christian liberties. And so they're still trying to live in the past. Now, believe you me, when these liberties were introduced in the New Testament in Paul's day by preachers in the, in the New Testament time, uh, it was very radical stuff. Can you imagine being raised a certain way for, say, 30, 40, 50 years, you've been told you cannot eat sausage. <laughs> That's an unclean animal. And there is absolutely no way you can do that. It's wrong. It's sinful. God forbids it. And then suddenly somebody comes into the church and starts preaching, and they say, hey, there's nothing wrong with eating sausage. God died, or Christ died on the cross and, and fulfilled the laws, and, and it's no longer binding on you. You'd be going, oh, what? It would, I mean, this was radical stuff. And so we have no idea what it was like living under that Jewish culture, that religious system, those restrictions they had on it. It was a tough life. Uh, and so to be told suddenly these laws were no longer binding on you would be a very hard thing to accept. And so that is one reason there's going to be so many of those that were weak in the faith. They, they just couldn't, couldn't grasp that concept. And so if you see somebody partaking of something, it would might have caused them to stumble. They, they'd be like, now wait a minute, I thought, you know, in Christ that we had this freedom, but but I just, that, that's wrong. I mean, they're, they're eating unclean things, and, uh, you know, and so this would cause a lot of problems. Now, uh, if you remember when Peter was up on that rooftop, uh, when Cornelius uh, entered into the scene there in the New Testament, Peter was on that rooftop, and he'd, he'd been up there a long time, he was hungry, and God gave him a vision of all these unclean animals, animals of all different kinds, being lowered down in a sheet. And he told him to eat it, to eat. And what did Peter say? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Peter said this, Acts 10 and 14. Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything as common or unclean. And he hadn't. He had been a strict Jew. And so he, didn't, he wouldn't have ate any of these things. And the Lord tells him that it, you know it's it's no longer binding. You don't have to observe that anymore. And Cornelius being the Gentile, and that's when the Gentiles we see in the New Testament started being saved. And so uh, you, you can understand from Peter's reaction how these other Jews might have been. Now, while we have liberty in Christ, we're also warned not to abuse these liberties. 
Paul wrote to the church of Galatia in Galatians 5 and 13, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. This has obviously been a problem in all the churches Paul had been involved with and had to write about it often. Uh, over in the church at Corinth, it was boy, it was a big mess. And he had to speak often about this, this particular subject. And so we do have liberty in Christ, but we also are not to abuse that liberty. When we abuse it, we, it actually becomes sinful. Sinful Christian liberty. We're going to talk more about that as we go. Uh, Peter, the one we were just speaking of that said he'd never eaten anything common or unclean, Listen to what he says in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 16. Peter writes, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now listen to this, verse 16. As free and not using your liberty... For a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. So it's, you know, even Peter himself saying, listen, I, I understand liberty, but don't use that for a cloak of, of maliciousness. Not something to bring evil and to indulge yourself in your liberties. And so it's very easy to claim Christian liberty and do things that we ought not to do. Even if the Bible doesn't expressly forbid it, it still doesn't mean that we should do it. Um, and like I said, we're going to talk about that more as we go. But look now back in Romans 14 and verse 14. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now, that's very important right there. So Paul saying that he knows from the Lord. The Lord showed him. Remember, Paul was given instruction from the Lord himself in that Arabian desert. He didn't learn it from man, but God told him and showed him the way. And he says, I know there's nothing unclean now. We can partake of it. However, if somebody thinks it is, if to them, if they believe it's unclean, if they partake of of it, it's sinful to them. And so... Paul says if somebody believes something simple, then to them it is. It may not be to you. There may be somebody come along and say, well, I, tell you, I think it's sinful to eat anything with blood in it. Because I know that you know the life is in the blood, and, and God forbade that in the Old Testament. And, and uh, so I don't think about anything with blood in it. And to them, if they eat something with blood in it, it's going to be a sin to them. But to us... In our liberty, we understand that it's not forbidden. We can eat things that has blood in it. And so, look, there's going, there's some things that I don't believe are sinful, but other people may. There's things that other people think sinful, but I don't. And so we don't need to clash about it. Let me give you an example. Uh, I mentioned this not long ago, but to me, if I were to mow the yard on Sunday... It would be a sin to me. Um, I know the Bible doesn't forbid that. There's my neighbors on both sides of us mow their yards on Sundays, you know, every now and then. 
the, the last church we went to, there was a person that lived beside the church. They mowed every Sunday. And I understand that's not a sinful thing in itself. But to me, I mowed one time on a Sunday. And I thought I was going to die. I mean, the whole time I was sick about it. And I said, I'll never do that again. I don't care if the yard gets foot high. I'm not going to mow on a Sunday. And so to me, it's, it's a sin. But to somebody else, no. And so, listen, if, if, if it bothers your conscience, if it's tugging at you and you feel something's wrong, then you shouldn't do it. It is simple to you. Either, even if the Bible doesn't say, you know, thou shalt not do this. <laughs> even if it don't say that, it's wrong for you. All right, verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. So Paul's warning here, listen, if you're living out your Christian liberties in front of someone who doesn't feel the same, doesn't believe the same, he says if you're, uh, it's grieving them, it's causing them to grieve, you're not being charitable. In other words, you're not loving your brother the way that you're supposed to. You should not do that. He says you're destroying him. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. And uh, listen, the, whether it be right or not, the world is looking at the Christian. And if the world sees the Christians doing things that, that looks wrong, then what's that say? It's, he says, don't let your evil, he says, let not then your good be evil spoken of. You know, uh, just because it may not be forbidden doesn't mean it's not, doesn't look bad or wrong, or maybe the, the world would look. Uh, those Christians in there, you know, today there's a big problem of Christians fighting uh, internally in the church, and it's gotten to the point where it's external. All you got to do is get on Twitter or Facebook and follow a preacher or pastor or a church, and you're going to find that there's a lot of things that are done and said in the public domain that don't need to be there. Um I, you know, social media has given access to the world to the inside of, of Christians' lives. Uh, I believe those things that people are writing out in those posts proceed from their heart. Uh, and just like this past week, there was a preacher that I follow on Twitter. And he starts out saying, this post is going to go viral. That's what he wants. He wants his post to go viral. And he starts talking about praise bands and choirs and how many people does it take before you call a praise band? How many people does it take to be a choir? How many is it, you know, is it all this stuff? He's doing that trying to, to be provocative to try to draw people to uh, start arguing and a lot of them love the arguing in the comment section. Sadly the world looks upon this mess and sees the way we behave. We're not being charitable to each other. You know, this person over here, I personally don't like praise bands, okay? I would not have one in my church because it feels wrong to me. I don't like it. I think the whole congregation should sing together. I'm fine with a choir, people that want to come to the choir and sing. I'm fine with that, but I don't like a praise band. I don't like four, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people up on a stage doing all their stuff. And some churches are okay with that. It's the main part of their worship service. 
It's not wrong. It's not sinful. But I don't like it, and I wouldn't do it. But I'm not going to argue with someone that does it. I'm not going to go over to Fairview and say, you guys are sinful because you got a praise band up here on your stage. Now, I'm not going to do that, but it, it's going on. That's happening. Just like this preacher wanting to tweet about it because he wants other people to, to pile on. He's got some kind of vendetta against some other church that has praised him. And so the world looks on this and sees that we're not being charitable, we're not loving each other, and so evil is being spoken about us. And so, verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So here the kingdom of God is referring to everything that belongs to God, every Christian, every individual church member, every church, all these things. That means that we need to be acceptable to God, he says, be acceptable to God in verse 18. For he that is in these things serveth Christ as acceptable to God. But look what he says at the end. And approved of men. Well, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care about any man, whatever he thinks. Well, the Bible says that we are to. That we are to be approved of men. If the church behaves the way it should, if we treat each other with love and charity and these things, what does he say? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. The world will look upon us and they will approve. They'll say, that's the way a church ought to be. They may not be even be involved in church. They may not know anything about it. But if they look out on at the church and they see treating each other in love, charity, righteousness, holiness, and, and peace, and joy, that's an attraction. And very different from the world, which we should be. And so we do need to be approved of men. Jesus said in John 13, 34 through 35, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. So if we're loving each other the way Christ loved us, the world will look upon us, as men will look upon us, and they'll know that we are his disciples. You can't tell most Christians apart these days. And so if they look at and they see fighting, disputes, arguing, and all this mess going on, then there's no love there. There's, we're not going to be known as his disciples. And so listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We always need to remember that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The world has no truth. There's no truth in the world. The church is the only source of truth in this world today. It's the very opposite of the world. The church is and should be. Uh, truth only can come from God. Jesus said he is the way, the life, and the truth. And so the church should manifest the truth of Christ within ourselves. The world should look upon the church and say it's different. They look different. They talk different. They behave different. They're much different than what I'm used to. But sadly, we see churches embracing the world's methods, the world's means, the world's music, the world's things. 
to try to draw the world in, they want to offer the world. Well, that's not how the church operates. The Bible says that, or Paul told Timothy, he said, you need to know how to behave yourself in the house of God. He don't mean don't be running around and sticking gum under the pews. No, he means you need to understand that this church, that you're pastoring, Timothy, this is the pillar and ground of truth, and you better act that way. You better be that way. You better exhibit the, the things of Christ in the church because the world is watching you. Now, when we start embracing the world's means and methods and, and music and all this stuff, we start chipping away at those pillars that the church is founded upon. And when we do that, we're no longer standing on the ground of the truth. All right, now look back at verse 19, Romans 14, 19. It says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify another. Look at that word edify. That word edify right there means to build up, to promote growth. It's one of the responsibilities of every church member. When you come to church, one of the reasons we are here is to edify one another. In fact, the reason God gives us spiritual gifts is for edification. It's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, Even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. You see, in that day, they were all wanting to speak in tongues. And Paul says, look, be, be more wanting these other things that's going to edify the church, you know. Everybody's not going to speak in tongues. That's not really edifying, really. I mean, you've got to have an interpreter and all this. And to edify, you, you should have these, these better gifts, these other gifts that will actually edify your brother or sister in Christ and edify the church. And so we need to remember that. Um, he says these things bring peace and that we edify one another. How many times have you came to church downcast? and you start talking to somebody and your spirits start getting lifted, that's edification. Uh, when it's been a hard week at work and, and I come in and somebody just, all they got to do is shake your hand and, and say, how, you know, how are you doing? And, or something like that. It just starts, it starts helping. It starts building you up. That's edification. Uh, when somebody comes to, and I'm not one to, that wants anybody to brag on anything I do or, Anything like that. My wife will tell you when people come to me, oh, that was a wonderful message and all that. It just, I, you know, I don't really know what to say back. I, I usually say give God all the glory, you know. But, uh, you know, people can, can help you. You know, Pastor, I'd never heard that before. And I'm so glad, you know, that you, you brought that out. That's edifying, even to me, for somebody to say, you taught me something from the Word of God. That's edification. You sit in Sunday school and your Sunday school teacher's been studying all week long and they give you a lesson and, and you you wouldn't uh, you didn't realize what they were saying or had seen it before. And they helped you and you come to the Sunday school teacher, thank you so much. You know, this is a wonderful lesson. That's edification. And the Sunday school teacher teaching you edifies you. So it all works together. Alright, now look back at verse twenty. Romans fourteen twenty. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. So again, Paul cautioning those who are living their Christian liberties 
no problems eating the meat, drinking the whatever they're drinking, and, and observing days or not observing days. He's like, look, I understand this. He said, these things are not destroying the work of God. All things are pure. But if you're doing it and somebody that don't agree with it, they think it's sinful, and you're doing it in front of them, he says, it's, it becomes evil. It's an offense. And so it would be better for you not to eat that meat, even if you do have a liberty. It's better for you not to drink wine, nor anything that calls our brother to stumble or makes him offended or makes him weak. Uh, this can, can make your fellow brother or sister in Christ weak in the, in, in the faith by seeing this. All right, so Paul had a lot to say about this, especially to like the church at Corinth. Listen to what he said, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 13. He says, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some, with the conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So stop right there a second. So what Paul's addressing here, there's Gentiles in this church who've been offering things to idols, and Paul's explaining, we know there's only one God, so it doesn't matter they've offered this up to their idol or their false god or, or whatever, because we don't believe in that God. He's not real. And so to eat of that would not be wrong. However, there's some here that don't feel the same. <clears throat> and so it, their conscience is, is going to be weak or defiled. Verse 8, But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat or we're better neither. If we eat not, are we worse? So in other words, it doesn't matter if you eat that meat or don't eat that meat. To God, it don't matter. He don't care. Um, but take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. So, even though God don't care if you eat that meat because it's not wrong, it's not sinful, if you're doing it in front of somebody that does think it's sinful, then you are in the wrong. You're becoming a stumbling block. Verse 10, For if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through the knowledge, through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. So according to this, um, doing this, observing your Christian liberties in front of somebody that don't agree with it, is sin. That's what, that's what the Bible said. And Paul says, listen, I know that that meat's not, not wrong. Christ told me that. But if I eat this in front of somebody that does, it is wrong. It's sinful. And so he says, so I don't offend anybody. I'm just not going to eat flesh. I just won't do it. Uh, there is uh, one instance in Paul's ministry. You may remember when Timothy, Timothy was not circumcised, and uh, it was causing a problem. And so Paul, to prevent people from being offended because Timothy wasn't circumcised, he had Timothy circumcised. Now, it was not wrong that Timothy was not. It didn't matter. Uh, him being a Gentile and him also 
um, you know, being under the new covenant, that wasn't necessary. But to Paul, he thought it should be necessary that Timothy go ahead and do this. That way it prevents anybody from being offended where they'd go to preach. Now, there's some things that, you know, we, we might do that we don't really want to do, but it would be helpful. Um, let's go ahead and look back at Romans 14 and 22. Romans 14 22. Has thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Now, what he means right here, if you have faith and you're living in your Christian liberties, do it before God, he says. Do it before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So <clears throat> my faith tells me it's fine to get up and eat sausage every morning for breakfast. My doctor don't agree. That's not got anything to do with it. I'm fine with it. I don't think it's sinful. I know it's not sinful. The Bible doesn't uh, or tells us that we don't have to observe those uh, Jewish laws and customs. However, there there may be people in this world that do believe it's still sinful. So if I was to invite somebody over here that felt that way, and I served up a big old thing of sausage and started chowing down, I'd be sinful. That'd be a sin to do that. And so the best thing to do is not do that. If it's between you and God, that's fine. If it's not offending anybody else, if nobody else is involved, you're not in front of anybody doing this, and it's not wrong, then do it before God. He says, Has thou faith, have it thyself before God. <clears throat> and so if you're continuing to do things just because you have the Christian liberty, and it's offending somebody, then you're being sinful. Now, we've got to be very careful when it comes to Christian liberties. There's usually two mindsets. One mindset is the legalist mindset. Those who want to condemn anything and everything and everybody, this, the, even if it's not mentioned in the Bible, just because they feel that it's wrong. Let me give you an example. There's people today that don't believe in television. They don't believe in movies, video games, wearing jewelry, wearing makeup, wearing shorts, smoking, chewing tobacco, drinking caffeine, all these things that are not even in the Bible. The Bible doesn't address any of those things. And you can start pick, nitpicking around and saying, well, wait a minute, this says, you know, uh, not to defile your body. And if you're doing that, you're defiling your body. Well, there's a lot of things that we may do that will defile our body. But these things like this is a list of of preferences, a list of things that a lot of vices. <clears throat> some people believe, honestly believe, I believe, that some of this stuff's sinful. <clears throat> so, example, the Bible doesn't address having a television set in your home. It doesn't address it. Okay? However, there's some people that don't believe in having one in their house. Period. Lester Roloff spent a good part of his ministry condemning television. What good he could have done if he broadcast on television to all those people. And so, some people, legalists, they'll try to make you think, make you think that you're not spiritual, you're not a Christian, you're not doing right if you're doing any of these things. You went to a movie? I'd hate to be there if the Lord came back. Well, there's a lot of places I wouldn't want to be when the Lord came back. But the Bible doesn't address that. You allow video games in your home? 
and see where it said, Thou shalt not play video games. Listen, I know you can get down to the nitty-gritty and you can say, well, now, a lot of those video games have bad language and violence and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you can nitpick everything to death. Not wearing makeup. You're a Jezebel if you wear makeup. Really? Is that what the Bible says? I don't think so. And so, some women, some people, some men, they think it's uh, sinful for a woman to wear makeup. I think it's simple for some of them not to. <laughs> so, <laughs> listen, uh, that's the one mindset, the legalist. you got to be very careful. You'll become just like a Pharisee, condemning everything and everybody. Those people I mentioned that used to go to our church, condemning because we had a Christmas tree in the, in the church. It's not in the Bible. But yet they condemned us for it. That's a legalist. And the other party is what I like to call... Uh, the liber, libertines. I know that's that's the word for something else, but liberal. How about liberalatines? There's my word for it. These are people that take Christian liberty way too far. I mean, they go out on a limb and say, "If it ain't in the Bible, then ain't nothing wrong with it. We can do it. We're going all out." You know, woo. You know, doesn't say anything about taking clothes off in the Bible. We're going to walk around naked. Really? <laughs> I don't think that's right. Uh, and there's certain like, for for instance, there was a big argument on Facebook this past week over marijuana. Um, and so there's people say, "Well, I'm a Christian, and the Bible doesn't say you can't smoke marijuana, so you know I don't see anything wrong with it, really." <laughs> uh, and so I know there's those that get medical help from medical marijuana and all that, and they don't do it to get high and all this. But there's people that will argue and defend. They're Christian liber liberty to smoke marijuana because the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not smoke marijuana. <laughs> and so the problem with this way of thinking, this, this liberal way of thinking about your Christian liberties, is that you become too lax, you become too accepting of things, which eventually leads you into sin, to being sinful. And so the problem, again, with the legalists, being pharisaical, condemning everybody and everything. These uh, liberal libertines, <laughs> liberal teens, they're too lax and uh, it causes them to engage in sinful practices. So the bottom line is, if something seems sinful to you, it's sinful to you. Even if the Bible doesn't expressly condemn it, if you feel that it's wrong, it's wrong for you and you should not do it. The, if if it becomes a matter of your conscience, if it's tugging at you, if you think, I don't know if I ought to do this, then you shouldn't do it. If there's ever comes a point where you have doubts, then it's not for you. So don't do it. However, if something you're doing that you feel the liberty to do offends someone else, and you know it does, you shouldn't do it. You should not do it in their presence. I'll say that. You should not promote it in their presence. You become a stumbling block to them. And the Bible says that is sinful. All right. We're going to stop right there. And Lord willing, next Sunday we'll get into the next chapter, chapter 15. And we've only got two chapters left of this book of Romans. It's been a great study. I've enjoyed it tremendously. And I pray that it's been a help to you. And uh, we'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the message today. Lord, I pray that it's been helpful. 
Lord, I pray that you help us keep ourselves the way we need to. Lord, to understand those things that we shouldn't do, those things we should do, Lord, and, and always follow your will, Lord, and and live in a life of, of peace and happiness and joy and love with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, and present ourselves to the world to be accepted for our show of love and charity and righteousness. And Lord, we pray most of all that we're pleasing to you in everything that we do. Help us here at Porchlight Baptist Church be a shining light to those out in this world that are lost. God, may we be able to reach them. And Lord, we'll give you the glory, the praise, and the honor for everything. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.